And Steve, thank you. It's uh, it's, a, it's nice this morning. I didn't get up here to preach all out of breath, so I can probably preach longer today. I heard that. Our text this morning is a passage that comes from the Gospel according to Matthew. It's chapter 13 and verse 44. And here's what that very familiar passage of Scripture has to say. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. You notice that phrase in there? And for the joy thereof. That is a striking and very important phrase. Jesus pictures there for us a man whose neighbors undoubtedly thought he was absolutely nuts. If anybody needed professional help, if anybody needed some time on a psychiatrist's couch... It was this man. His neighbors looked at him with bewildered and longing eyes. And as they looked at him, they said, He's so different. They had seen this man that morning as he left to go out and work in the field that belonged to someone else. The field of another man. And on that particular day, He did not impress anyone as a man who was on his way to some great adventure. He looked like a man going to the drab monotony of another day of toil and labor. And now he's completely different. He's a changed man. He's a man who has been completely transformed. And not only has he been transformed... But he is absurdly joyous, while at the same time he's seemingly reducing himself to abject poverty. Because this man has gone out and he has sold everything he has. And selling everything he has, he's taken every bit of the money and he's given it to a real estate agent. And he's paying all that he's got for a field that he used to work in that belonged to somebody else. You know what? I bet his neighbors thought he was paying more for the property than it was worth. I bet his neighbors said, you should have held out, you could have gotten it a lot cheaper than that. Ooh, I wouldn't have paid that kind of price for that piece of ground. It's not worth that kind of money. And yet this man is gladly Paying everything he has. He even acts as if the owner of that property is doing him a favor by relieving him of his money. He almost seems to regard this great sacrifice as a priceless privilege. What did the text say? And for the joy thereof, he goeth and selleth all that he has, and he buys the field. 
Now let me ask you, what exactly did Jesus mean with that story? It's one of the kingdom parables. And what Jesus is telling us there is that finding the kingdom and entering into the kingdom is a source of great joy. Entering the kingdom is more than a source of great joy. It's a source of supreme joy. And I want to tell you something. And like the old time preachers used to say, I'm going to say this without the fear of successful contradiction. There are a lot of people, people even in the church, that don't realize entering the kingdom is a source of supreme joy. There's a lot of folks today that feel like religion is something that's good for the sweet by and by. But it becomes somewhat of a burden in the here and now. It's something we have to tolerate, but it's more of a weight than it is of a privilege. It's something to be endured, but it's not something to be enjoyed. But folks, what Jesus tells us there, what Jesus assures us of, is that vital Christianity is a source of matchless, unspeakable joy. And that's a conviction that's shared by the writers of the Old Testament and the writers of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a whole lot of reading there that's gloomy and a lot that's very foreboding. And yet, even in that Old Testament, with all of its gloominess and with all of its forebodings, that note of joy is on the lips of almost all of the saints. Yes. You're going to meet in the Old Testament some very pious people who did not enjoy their religion. You're going to meet some folks that were bored with their religion, just like some folks today are bored with religion. Malachi tells us there are some that said what a weariness worship is. After all, they had to deal with so many prohibitions. They had to deal with so many petty laws. And yet some found that even those didn't have to be completely burdensome. One of the psalmists writes these words, Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. That's in Psalms 119, verse 54. The psalms, over the years have been called the hymn book of the Jews. If you remember, last Lord's Day when we talked about having the courage to face the future because the Lord is our shepherd, our text came from the Psalms. In the Psalms, you'll find almost every mood of the human soul reflected there. If we feel inclined to sob, we can find those in the Psalms to share our sorrow. But if you carefully read the book of Psalms, the predominant book, the predominant note of the book is a note of joy. Because it's in the Psalms you actually find life set to music. 
Take, for example, the writer of the 34th Psalm. He was a man who at one time had been dogged by tormenting fears. In that 34th Psalm, what he was afraid of, we're not told. Maybe he was afraid some ugly sin in the past is going to reach out and destroy him. Or maybe he was afraid of what tomorrow brought, but whatever his fears were, he brought them to God. And you know what he says in the 34th Psalm? I sought the Lord. Well, what happened when you sought the Lord? He heard me. Well, what happened then? He delivered me from all of my fears. I was afraid. I sought the Lord. The Lord heard me. And the Lord delivered me from all of my fears. In the 40th Psalm, we meet another man who has found life to be hard. And he's found life disappointing. He's not lived in the light, but he's lived in the darkness of a spiritual dungeon. And his dungeon is a miry Noisy place. A place that's just downright tragic. What does He tell us? He tells us He waited patiently on the Lord. And the Lord heard Him. And the Lord brought Him out of the horrible pit. And the Lord brought Him out of the miry clay. And He set His feet upon a rock and established His going. What else happened? That experience put a new song in the man's mouth, a song of joy and praise. And over and over and over, the Psalms set life to music. They were written by men who found their religion to be a source of supreme joy and happiness. And then you turn to the New Testament. And when you turn to the New Testament, you find this joy is intensified. And that is in spite of the fact the New Testament, logically, it should have been very depressing. Because after all, the New Testament tells about the greatest tragedy that ever took place on this earth. The New Testament tells us how the Son of God came to live among men. And it tells us how that men knew nothing better to do with Jesus than crown Him with thorns. And after they crowned Him with thorns, they nailed Him to a rough-hewn wooden cross. But in spite of that, the New Testament is not a depressing book. Do you know why? At the center of the book is the most joyous man ever known. We've got to remember something about Jesus. In spite of the cross, and yes, because of the cross, Jesus was the most joyous man to ever look out on this world. The Hebrew writer tells us that Jesus was tempted, just like we are. Jesus was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But the constant words on the lips of Jesus were the words, Be of good cheer. That night, when Jesus ate the Passover with the disciples for that very last time, Jesus prayed for them. Have you ever looked at that prayer and 
John 17, really looked at it? We've heard a lot of sermons on it. Most of them are titled Christ's Prayer for Unity. But buried and hidden and often overlooked in verse 13, in the middle of that prayer, is a very important phrase. As Jesus prays for His disciples, He prays that they might have His joy fulfilled in themselves. On His way to the cross, Jesus prayed that His disciples could have the joy that He had. And that prayer is answered. When you turn to the book of Acts, and when you read the epistles. Because in the book of Acts, and in the epistles, we meet people whose Faces are full of sunshine and people whose lips are full of song. Write this down. You thought I was going to say this on the final exam, didn't you? The joy of the Lord is not a hothouse plant. Trusting souls do not have to be in favorable circumstances in order to sing. You remember Peter and John in the early part of Acts? They're brought before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 5. They're whipped like slaves. And they went away from that experience with a sparkle in their eye, a spring in their step, and rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 16, we see Paul and Silas. They're in jail. Not just in jail, they're in the inner prison. They're not in a holding cell. Their feet are fastened in the stocks. Their backs are gashed and they're bleeding. Like Peter and John, they have been publicly whipped. And in the dark of the midnight, Paul and Silas are singing praises to God. Serving Jesus, they're so filled with joy, they can't help singing and praying. The prison doors are open. And the locked door to that jailer's heart is opened. When we fully commit ourselves to the Lord, when we unconditionally surrender our will to the will of God, that same kind of joy can be ours today. You see, vital religion, real Christianity, is a source of deep and abiding joy, regardless of our circumstances. This man in our story over in Matthew, why is that man that's in our text so joyous? It's not because he secured the prize he coveted at a bargain. It's not because he got a great deal on that real estate he bought. You see, bargain basement Christians are 
seldom distinguished by their joy. If a cheap religion brought joy, there are a lot of folks today that would be singing instead of just being merely bored in our world. There are a lot of folks giving to the Lord things that cost them nothing. But a cheap religion is one that satisfies neither God or man. The man in our story, in our parable, he's not joyous just because he's getting a good deal. He's joyous because it's costing everything he's got. You see, in order to enter the kingdom, in order to enter the kingdom, we must make an unconditional surrender of our will to the will of God. Jesus is not asking for our tears or our prayers or our money or our work first of all. Jesus is asking first and foremost for us. He's asking for a dedicated, committed life. And if we give Him a dedicated and committed life, we enter the kingdom. Over in Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus is on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus. And he met Jesus face to face. And Saul made an unconditional surrender. In his own words, speaking before Agrippa, he said, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. That day, Saul of Tarsus died to self. And that man that died to self would later say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. It's through dedication. And it's through commitment that we really come to know Jesus Christ. And as we come to really know Jesus Christ, He takes our hearts captive. And as we come to know Jesus, and as Jesus takes our hearts captive, Jesus enables us to live the life of love. Is it not a fact that we're always glad to work or give or serve any person or cause that we love and we love deeply? Don't we always find it easy to work and sacrifice for someone that we love? When Ruth, back in the long ago, turned her back on her native land and on her people, she did not do so grudgingly. She did it happily because of love. We're told over in the book of Genesis in chapter 29 
that the seven years that Jacob served for Rachel seemed as but a few for the love that he had for her. Well, how do we get that? How do we get this kind of joy? How do we get this kind of joy in our service to God? We do not come to find this joy. By saying to ourselves, go to now, I'm going to have a good time. That's not where that joy comes from. There was a farmer that tried that in Luke chapter 12. He sought to arouse his sluggish soul and he said, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry because I have barns that are overflowing. But after all of his prodding, he was just as wretched as he had been before. Have you ever known you were going to have to get up a little earlier in the morning than normal? And so you go to bed a little earlier because you know you've got to go on to sleep. And you lay there knowing you've got to get up about two hours earlier the next morning and you say to yourself, I've got to go to sleep. And you lay there and say, I've got to go to sleep. I got... How did that work out for you? Yeah, it doesn't, does it? Did you ever discover that the harder you tried to sleep, the wider awake you were? It's that same way. When we're trying to seek joy as an end in itself. About the most wretched and miserable people you'll ever come in contact with in this world are those whose one purpose, their one goal, their one objective is to have a good time. And if we don't find this joy by seeking this joy as an end, we also don't find it by seeking its opposite. I've known those who felt like they really ought not enjoy their religion. They felt like they really ought not go to worship with a smile on their face. I've known folks that were convinced the more miserable they make themselves, the more Christian they are. And there's a Greek word for that. It's baloney. Joy to the Christian is more than a privilege. It's a positive duty. Over in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10 Nehemiah writes, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength for vital Christian living. The joy of the Lord is our strength to resist temptation. And the joy of the Lord is our strength for winning others to Jesus Christ. And we find this joy. Just like all the saints in all the generations before have found it. We find this joy in the giving of self. We don't find this joy by seeking joy as an end. We don't find this joy by seeking the opposite of joy as an end. We find this joy 
by seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We find this joy by giving ourselves wholly and completely to Jesus Christ. It's His invitation as we stand and while we sing.